0: Believe there's power in the name of Jesus. We've we've read stories, maybe you've even experienced it personally, where at just the name of Jesus things happen that you can't wrap your mind around, that you can't understand, because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the person of Jesus. You remember in the Bible, Jesus is walking down the street. There's a lady who has a a blood flow problem. She's had it for years. She reaches out and she touches his clothes. She didn't say, Jesus saved me. She didn't say, put oil on me. She touched the hem of his garment and she was healed because there's power in the name of Jesus. And so if there's power in the name of Jesus, why is the church so powerless? There was a lady back in the 1930s who came to her pastor and she said, "Pastor, pray for me. I'm fixing to lose my job." The pastor said, "Well, well ma'am, you're a hard worker. I know you. I know your character. This is this is un, unreal. Why is this happening?" She said. He said, "Have you already been have you already been dismissed?" And she said, "No, not yet." But you see, she worked at an umbrella umbrella factory in Philadelphia, and and she said, "You see, there's just." There's not enough power, and he didn't know what she was talking about, and so he said, "Well, I don't understand. Don't you have enough orders to fill it? And there enough to, to keep the plant going? Why why are you being let go?" And she said, "She said, no, 'No, no. We've got more orders than we can fill. The problem is we have a machine that pulls more power than what we have in the building.'" And she said, "So I sit at my machine all day long, and there's not enough power for me to hit the on switch. So I sit there and I lose I lose hours and I lose wages." What she was telling the pastor, the pastor is that there's simply not enough power in the building and in the lines to adequately run the factory. As you and I think of power in Christ, Jesus tells us that the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Now, we have people gathered all around and today in churches. People got dressed, got the family ready, came to church today. We have people. We have people. Our biggest problem is we have people that don't understand the power of Jesus in their life and they're just sitting. We've got the machines, but the machines, apart from the power of God, are useless. Machines apart from the power of God are useless. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. It's a fascinating chapter in all the Bible. In Luke chapter 8, turn with me there. Jesus is is kind of, he's he's building climax in his story. He's he's showing people who he is. He's drawing crowds. And in Luke chapter 8, as as we think in verse 22, um, we read a a very well-known story, but we're going to kind of continue today. In Luke chapter 8, Starting in verse 22, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, they sailed, and, and he fell asleep. And it says, A windstorm came down on them. And they were filling with water and they were in danger. And they woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water to obey him? Father, we pray that you would use your word and guide this service. God, we want to see your displayed power in our lives. We want to see your displayed power in our church. And as we look in your word, we pray that it would transcend from the text to our lives and that we would live in the power of Jesus this morning. We're desperate for you today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This is a time in Scripture where Jesus not only is teaching the disciples something, He's teaching you and me something today too. He wants us to see today the the displayed power that Christ had even over creation, that there's nothing outside the limits of Jesus that He doesn't have power over. So those things in your life that you think, these are overcoming me, these are overwhelming me, Jesus is bigger today. Look at your neighbor and you tell them, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than whatever you've got going on. He's bigger than whatever scenario that you've got. You you heard in the, the video that we played kind of pre the service he's bigger than all but that doesn't mean that you'll be healthy and wealthy he's bigger than all and that doesn't mean we're going to be prosperous and popular he's bigger than all and what he's talking about he he allows us to overcome it may be by death that we overcome it may be by torture that we overcome but we overcome not on our own strength but in the power of Jesus he's teaching his disciples that he has authority outside of their competence. They're in the boat. The boat is rocking. The waves are coming. But but now remember, you're not with me in the boat. Like if we get out on the lake today, this afternoon, and a big storm comes up, you're in trouble. Right? Get an oar. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know. Better get under a boathouse. We're in trouble. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. There's no boathouses. But the people on the boat aren't amateurs. The people on the boat, they're not amateurs. They've been there. You remember, almost all the disciples had a background in fishing before Jesus called them to be disciples. So they've been in storms before. They've been in wind storms. Like the Sea of Galilee, even if you go there today, because of the way the mountains cut into Galilee, still this way today, Because of the way it comes off the Mediterranean and funnels down into, there's a big channel. The mountains kind of divide there at the Jordan River Valley, and the the winds come in. And what they do is they cause huge swirling winds across the center of the lake. The disciples knew this. This wasn't catching them off guard. In, they've been there before, but this one was different. Water is now coming into the boat. And, and if you're in the Sea of Galilee and you're in the middle of it and you can't swim 60 miles, you're in trouble. These brothers are in trouble. And, and so you just picture this pandemonium event where they're they're grabbing, th- they're just slinging water back out of the boat and it's, it's rocking. It's, they're not in a freight liner. They're in a little wooden raft and it's rocking. And yet Jesus is asleep. That brother could sleep through anything. He's asleep, and they go back to Jesus, we're we're in trouble. Jesus, we're sinking. You're asleep. Lord of all, the incarnate of God in flesh, in Christ, looked at the wind and said, shh. And you know what the wind did? It went, shh. He told the waves, that's enough. They stopped. They stopped because the winds and the waves obeyed him. Don't you wish you were as as obedient as that wind and that wave? Man, if we could just get the obedience of the wind and the waves. He tells the winds and the waves to hush, and they do so. But he didn't lay back down. He didn't lay back down. He turned to his disciples. Those men who have seen him heal those men who have seen him take a little kid's lunch and multiply it to feed thousands. He looked at those people and he said, where is your faith? Where's your faith? You've seen me move mountains. You've seen me do the impossible over and over and over again. And you just thought we were going to die out here? You thought this was the end? Where is your faith? We do this all the time. We see God move mountains. We see God cure cancer. Every time a baby is born, it's a miracle of the Lord. And yet the first thing that comes against us, the first time it gets hard, we lose our mind. Lord, where are you? He's faithful. He's faithful. Every time we've stepped up into a hard time, he's been faithful but don't don't misunderstand his faithfulness with your wish list because just because the lord is faithful doesn't mean you get what you want i've prayed over so many people lord let them live and they didn't does that mean the lord's not faithful no not at all the lord is incredibly faithful that means it wasn't god's will for that one to live that means eternity was better for that brother or sister in christ than this this crooked world. The Lord's faithful. But he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to himself. That doesn't mean, and he's faithful to me as well. But boy, I can get selfish. Anybody, anybody with me tonight? Anybody get selfish? You know when I'm the most selfish? I'm going to tell you, my wife, she's she, she finna to say amen right here. <laughs> Between 5 and 7 p.m. in the afternoons, I am the most selfish person on the planet. Like I come home from work and I'm tired, been in meetings all afternoon, or I'm visiting, I'm, I'm bouncing hospital, hospital, hospital all across Birmingham, and, and I've read your emails, and I get in, and I'm just, I come home and I'm tired and, and, and I've talked all day and I don't want to talk anymore, and yet I've got to walk in the door. And Caleb doesn't care how many meetings I've been in. He doesn't care how many phone conversations I've had. He doesn't care how much I've read or studied. He doesn't care about any of that. Daddy's home, which means it's playtime. I just want to sit. I want to, I want to debrief, and I, I don't even really want to talk about it. I just want to be quiet, and I want to sit. And I don't even have to have tea. I can just sit by myself. But, but at that time, supper is cooking. Dishes are being cleaned. Laundry has to be done. Caleb has to have a bath. I, I can't just sit. And yet so often I am selfish, and I am abusing the opportunity that God has given me to husband my wife and father my son. These men were selfish as they were looking around at their situation. But not only did the winds and the waves obey him, look at the disciples. They're astonished. They're astonished. They're looking out. What? The winds and the waves obey him? But this isn't the first time that he's done something like this. This isn't the first time that Jesus has has made creation bend to his authority. This isn't the first time. And yet, they're astonished. Because Their fear, their fear overcame them. Their fear overcame their faith. When life gets tough, our faith can diminish. Because in reality, if that happens, it's not real faith. Faith is not knowing what the answer is, but trusting that the Lord is going to move anyway. Faith is unseen. We can't see it. We can't predict it. But we trust the Lord that he's going to do what he's promised. They lacked faith in the presence of fear. When it got difficult, they they went and they shook him. Lord, Lord, we're perishing up here. And you're you're just snapping. Do something. They didn't trust that he was who he was. They didn't trust what he said. He told them, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. That means no matter what the ocean does, my friend, that boat is going to the other side. Because when the Lord Jesus declares it, nothing's going to get in front of him. He doesn't look at something and go, well, that's an obstacle I can't handle. No, he is Lord. He told the wind and the waves to hush, and they did. Because his power is limitless. His power is unmatched, but he's not just on a boat ride. So we continue in the text. So he's he's not just drifting along, and they're not just doing that. In verse twenty-six, the story continues because remember we didn't get verse numbers and chapter numbers till right around fifteen fifty, and so this is one story. It just continues, and then he sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out onto land, there met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him. And with a loud voice, he said, Jesus, what do you have to do with me, son of the Most High God? He says, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man for." Many a time it had seized him and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for many demons have entered in him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs. They were feeding on the hillside. And they begged him, let us go into these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and they entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep banks into the lake and they drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, and they told the people in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed, and he's in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding countries of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and he returned. Then the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had healed him. You see, the story of Jesus' trip continues. Not only do we see the power of Jesus over creation, but we see Jesus displayed his power even over demons. Even over demons, Jesus displays his power. Don't ever think, don't ever think Jesus and Satan are on the same playing field. They're not. Satan doesn't have the power of Jesus. He doesn't have the knowledge of Jesus. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. He doesn't have the authority that you think he has. In fact, the very playing field that Satan is on, Jesus owns the field, okay? Jesus is completely more powerful, more able, and he displays it because he overthrows the demons that have been Brought before him. He displayed his power. Notice that the demons knew who Jesus was. They knew who he was. They knew who he was. Jesus gets out the boat. Now, this is an awkward thing here. Jesus, he, at this point, you think Jesus has been getting after these disciples for 30 miles across the lake. Talking about their lack of faith, all of this. Jesus. The, the boat comes to shore. Jesus jumps out. There's a naked man standing in front of him that they can't keep chained up. They can't keep bound up. He is there and he comes. And, like, if I'm, if I'm the disciples, I'm like, brother, you better grab that oar. Here we go. Like, I'm fretting. This is an intense moment. Jesus jumps out, no fear, because when you're the Son of Man, you have no fear. He jumped out. The man comes before him and it says he falls. Down. A man possessed by thousands of demons. That's what the word legion means in the Greek. It's a military term. Thousands of demons comes before Jesus and he falls. He falls. He says, Jesus, what have you to do with me? You are son of the most high God. Friends, that verse. That verse scares the daylights out of me. You're like, "Why, why, Jeff? I'm so glad you asked. Here we have demons, owned, possessed, and controlled by Lucifer himself, declaring the lordship and the mercy of Jesus, and they're not saved. They're not saved. They're not in glory. They won't be with us there. They were owned, controlled, and forced by Lucifer into this man, yet they come knowing who Jesus is. When he gets out of the boat, there's no, there's no time in Scripture. It doesn't tell us that they shook hands and got to know each other. They didn't do the three-minute walk around in church. They didn't know each other before that moment. But yet when Jesus got out of the boat, the demons knew who he was. They knew that is the Son of Man. That's, that's God Almighty wrapped in human flesh, and he is standing before me. And he walked, and he fell in submission before the Lord. Notice the progression that we see in the demon. It says that he saw Jesus. He came, he cried out, and he fell down. He saw him. He saw Jesus. He came to him. He cried out, you are, you are Jesus, son of the most high God, and he fell down. Ironic that the demons in Luke 8 give more reverence to Jesus than most claiming evangelicals ever do. These demons profess the lordship of Christ, even though they are eternally bound for hell. And yet many of us, we rarely declare the lordship of Christ. When was the last time you bowed in the presence of the Lord? When was the last time you went prostrate for the glory of the Lord? We have altar calls and nobody moves. I know you can pray in your seat, but something special happens when we bow in submission before the Lord. Do you have a prayer time at your, in your house where you bow before the Lord? Because look, sitting in your recliner with a TV on is probably not a great time to start praying. He fell and he declared that Jesus was Lord of the Most High God. He declared that. These demons knew they were outmatched. They were outgunned. They knew that there was nothing that they had. They didn't even try. It wasn't like they even tried to mount a defense against Jesus. Their only defense was laying flat on the rocks of the cemetery and begging for mercy. They're begging for mercy. Lord, don't send us to the abyss. Don't destroy us here, Lord. Have mercy on us. It's amazing to me that the demons are begging for mercy. I I didn't get anybody else. They're begging for mercy. We think these demons are so strong. We give them so much credit. And yet, here they are throwing themselves on the ground, begging for mercy because there's power in the person of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. It's more than a name that we have on our church side. It's more than things we talk about or sing about. When I tell you there's power in the name of Jesus, I'm talking about there's something inside of you that demons can't control. There's something inside of you, there's a blood in you because of the Holy Spirit. You are a gift from the Lord to the culture that you would go out, you would tell, you would share. You are power filled by Jesus. By Jesus. Not by me. I don't have any power. I can't send you out. You would be helpless. You would be hopeless. But there's power in Jesus that even the demons fall on the ground and beg for mercy. And we come in and sit in a pew thinking we do something. My goodness. They beg for mercy. They, they recognize him. But Jesus destroys them anyway. Jesus destroys them anyway. Lord, don't send us to the abyss. Send us into these pigs over here and we'll just live among the pigs. Jesus said, all right, I got you. I got you. Grants them. That's an odd conversation too. Jesus grants them the permission. He didn't have to. He could have said, no abyss, Go. He grants them the authority to go into the pigs because Jesus knows everything. Like, Jeff, how do you know the demons don't have all-knowing power? Because if they knew he was going to send them into the lake, they would have never asked to go in them. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do next. Yeah, go to the pigs. That's fine. They go to the pigs. The pigs run down into the lake and drown. They're destroyed anyway. When Jesus displays his power, people have different reactions to it. When you get on fire for Jesus, people are going to have different reactions to to what you do. When you start operating in the power of a risen Savior, people are going to react to you differently. You're going to have people like the disciples. The disciples marveled at Jesus. They they looked at him. They they marveled. He just told the wind to hush. He told the waves to stop rolling. They were beside themselves. They're having conversations. Who is this? Who is this that was able to to make nature stop? Who has that power? The townspeople, though, begged him to depart. We see the disciples, those who were familiar with Jesus, and they see what he did. Woo! Who is this? I know we saw him multiply some brands of fishes. I know we saw him heal the man who had leprosy. I know we saw him raise, raise the centurion's daughter up from death to life. But he just told, he just told millions of gallons of water and, and power that we can't explain in the wind. He just told them to stop and they stopped. Who is this? The townspeople see him run pigs off a cliff. Heal a man who has been tormenting them. There's a reason they chain and bind this brother. He's not going around sharing the good news of Christ. He was a demon-possessed man out for the works of Satan. He's destroying the Gerasian area. They've chained him up. They've put him in a cemetery. They said, this is where you're going to live now. He's cutting himself with rocks. This is a bad dude. He heals him. He makes the demons go into the pigs. They run down into the water. They drown and die. And yet the people come. Instead of celebrating Jesus for healing this brother who had tormented them, they said, please leave. Leave. Get back in your boat. We'll push you out. We'll let Billy Bob even get his motor and put it. Just get out of here. Just get out of here. You scare us. Jesus wrecked their financial structure. When these pigs drown in the water, when the pigs drown in the water, Jesus wrecked their financial structure. This was before the dollar. I know Visa's everywhere you want to be, but Visa wasn't in the first century. You weren't just going and on stuff on credit or anything like that. You traded. You didn't have, you didn't have much money, so you would trade. This, this pig farm wasn't just one man's pigs. In fact, most of the, the people in the city would, would have pigs inside of this herd, and they would feed them communally. That was how they did that back in the day. So when all of those pigs departed for the water and they drowned, Jesus affected their financial structure. And at that point, they were furious. Because sometimes Jesus is going to do things that we don't understand. Sometimes Jesus is going to do something. These people are coming up and they're like, oh, that's cool, he, he's healed. But all of our money is now floating upside down in that, in that lake. What's that about? They didn't call Alexander Shonora. They were afraid of his power. They were afraid of his power. Jesus isn't about your health and your wealth. He's about his glory. It's about his glory not yours he wrecked their financial structure they were irritated they were angry they now have somebody standing in front of them that they can't understand they can't comprehend and they certainly can't explain and they say get in the boat and leave just get in the boat and leave jesus is lord of all he could have said no no this is my like i own this this is me he gets back in the boat. What I love about the story, Jesus has done two miracles back to back in the same, in the same section of Scripture that blows people away. And, and we have this guy who has been set free. We have the guy, now he's not the subject of the material. Jesus is the subject of the New Testament. But we have this guy who is another character in the text He's been set free. This was a man who chains and straps couldn't hold him down. And when the people come up to the cemetery, they find him sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's been set free from all the demons. He's been set free from the captivity of sin. He's been set free from the bondage of Satan. And the first thing he does, he doesn't run down to Walmart. He doesn't go to a ball game. He doesn't go to the games over in Rome. The first thing he does is he sits at the feet of Jesus so that he can learn. First thing he does, he sits at the feet of Jesus. When was the last time you sat at the feet of Jesus? What's was the time you grabbed your word and said, Lord, teach me today? What's the last time you engaged God? Lord, I need to hear from you. You've set me free because you are the guy who has been set free. If you're going to put yourself in the story, you're not the brave Jesus. You're not even the doubting disciples. You are the possessed man running naked in the cemetery. He's been set free. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Bible tells us he's clothed. Somebody gave this brother some clothes. And he's learning from Jesus. What I love about the text, he begs Jesus as they're getting in the boat to depart and go back across the Galilee. He says, Let me go with you. You've set me free. Let me go with you. Jesus says, No. We look at the, Jesus, why are you saying no to this brother? This, like, this brother's gonna be a fighter for you, this brother's gonna be a game changer for you. Like, you've set him free. Get him in the boat. He needs to be on your team. Jesus says, you're on my team, but I need you to go to your home. I need you to go to your city. I need you to go to all those people who saw you possessed and you display the power that I've now given you in the Holy Spirit. You display the power that you received at salvation. You go back and you change your city. You go back and you change your town for the gospel of Jesus. You go back and you tell them, I've set you free. You go back and tell them that the chains that Satan put on you had no power. Jesus didn't get a key. Jesus didn't get a hacksaw. At the name of Jesus, this brother was healed. He said, you go back and you tell them all I've done for you. You go back and you tell them, you display the power that I've put in you. Jesus did God's sized works. And the people were either amazed or they were afraid. When God moves, which camp are you in? When God does something unexplainable, uncontainable, that you can't fathom, don't shriek in fear. Don't try to press Jesus. When I was in youth group, <laughs> I turned 30 this week. That's, uh, that happened. I know some of you are like, come on, young buck, but <laughs> like for these people, it's like, God, he's old. When I was in youth group, back before we had color TV, <laughs> we used to sing a little song that was something like this. It said, if I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out, and then you did something like, mwah, 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 and I'd put him right back in. And if I had a little black box to put the devil in, I'd take him out and punch him in the face and put him right back in. We used to sing that because when you, yelled, when you said punch him in the face, you didn't just say it, you yelled it. And teenagers just like scream and punch him in the face. The problem with that little ditty that we came up with in youth group was that it was heretical. We don't live in the power of Jesus because we think we can wrap Jesus around the confines that we can understand. We think that we can somehow mentally contain the authority and the power of Jesus between our ears. God is uncontainable today. Your word and your wisdom can't wrap around Jesus. He's indescribable. He's perfect. He's holy. He's huge. To say we can put Jesus in a box and have him at our disposal is the exact way that most evangelicals in our American culture is living. That Jesus can somehow be Lord of your life on Sunday morning and you put him by your Bible on Monday through Saturday and you pick him back up Sunday morning. And we're just going to be real this morning because we're in church? If that's how you're living your life, my friend, you're no more saved than you were before you ever started coming to church. Jesus didn't come to be Lord of your life on Sunday. He came to be Lord of your life every day. At salvation, we lay down authority and we submit to the Lordship of Christ and he's our forever Lord. Lord. I know we're in, a, we're in a season of pagan worship. I know that. I know that more people were more passionate yesterday at a football game than they've ever been in a church. I know that. But it's time for the church to live in the power of Jesus Christ. Stop walking around defeated. You've got Christ in you. We've seen his power. You can't explain him. You can't contain him. And he doesn't need you to defend him. His power is amazing. And the invitation that he's given to you, the invitation that he's giving to you is live in it. See the authority and the power of Jesus. He didn't ask permission. He was the permission. In fact, in the Gospels, he says, I will swear on myself. Are you living in the power of Jesus? Are you living, allowing God to work through you, move through you? Are you in all of who He is? The demons fell face first in the dirt, declaring the Lordship of Christ. Do you live with that type of passion for the Lord? That you submit yourself completely to Jesus? Because you can't be God and Him be God at the same time. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll grow to love one and hate the other. Fall in love with Jesus again. Be in all of his power. Be in all of his glory. Be in all of his majesty. He's enough. He's enough for us to worship the rest of our days. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how much you love us and how much you've displayed for us. Lord, I pray over the people under the sound of my voice, whether they are in this room or they're hearing the sermon later. Lord, I trust you today to do something incredible. Lord, I, we, we need your power. The church needs to be filled with, with your power because we know at the name of Jesus that demons fall. We know at the name of Jesus, we Satan has no power over us. Now we know that. We know there's power in the name of Jesus and we know, Father, that there's coming a day when everyone is going to profess and, and bow before you. But we pray, Father, that as the church, as the redeemed people of our culture, we wouldn't wait for that forcibly to happen, but we would often be bowing before you. We would often be consecrating our hearts before you that we would be living in your authority and in your power, Lord, that we would be hopeless and we would be helpless before you that if you don't show up and be our power, then we're powerless. If you don't show up and be our wisdom, then then we have no wisdom. God, we are begging you for, for us to, God, give away any authority that we could possess and just hold to you. Father, for the, for the brother or sister in here tonight or this morning who needs to accept you as Lord, God, they, they need to realize they, they have no power. They can't overcome the world. They can't overcome sin because they're entangled. But, Father, when we submit to your lordship, chains fall. When we submit to your lordship, God, sin separates itself from us. God, at repentance, Father, we are set free. Lord, I pray for the one who needs to receive Christ this morning. You would give them the boldness to step out and come for for the people who have have approached the power of Christ but don't know what to do with it. Father, I pray that they would live in that power. They would rejoice in that power. That they would operate in that power. And God, I pray that you would forgive us when we don't. Lord, we give this invitation to you, begging you to do a God-sized work. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.